The reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 15. Lydia's conversion in Philippi. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I have a guilty pleasure which gets fed at this time of year. I love watching Wimbledon. Anybody else been watching tennis this Oh, gosh. Do you know, as I was sitting watching uh, the tennis this week, I was watching, or actually hardly, I was struggling to see some of those men who were serving, and I couldn't follow the ball across the net. And it occurred to me, I wondered what the fastest serve has ever been recorded, and more importantly, what was the fastest serve that was ever returned? And I realized, after a bit of investigation, that it was Jonas Bjorkman who has the record for returning the fastest serve and getting it in. He was at match point, 2004 Davis Cup quarterfinals against America, and Andy Roddick was serving. And Roddick served at 152 miles an hour. Imagine that. Now, Bjorkman not only saw the ball coming, but he had the amazing reactions to get his racket on the ball and the unbelievable coordination to get it back over the other side of the net, and it was in. That took, in my estimation, some fantastic skill and no little courage. And our question today is, does it take that sort of skill and that sort of courage to talk to other people about Jesus? How do people respond when a Christian shares something of their faith? Well, there's a survey that's been done, and of all the non-Christians in the UK who know somebody who's a Christian, half those people have had a discussion with them about Jesus. I think that sounds pretty encouraging. But what's more interesting is that after that conversation, one in six of those people said that they were sad that they didn't share the faith of that Christian and that they wanted to know more. One in every six of those conversations, people wanted to know more. Now, my background is in sales. That's where I spent my working life. And I used to find one particular problem with the salespeople I had. And that was that they didn't think that the person to whom they were selling was interested in what they had to say. 
they had a preconceived idea that people were not interested. And I guess, as Christians, we can fall into that same trap. I don't know how many times I used to say to people, let them tell you they're not interested, don't assume it. And do we fall into that same trap? How many people that we know really want to know more about Jesus, but the problem is, we don't think they do. So from this passage, what does Paul teach us about sharing our faith? Well, firstly, I want you to notice that Paul talked to anyone and everyone. We're here today in Philippi. Now, Philippi is on the um, east part of what is modern-day Greece. It was then Macedonia. And he had just crossed the Aegean Sea from what is now Turkey, Asia, and Philippi was his first landfall in Europe. And on the Lord's Day, he goes to the riverbank, and there's a group of women who are there meeting for prayer. Now, the thing that strikes me is that seems to me rather cross-cultural, that, a Jewish men, that Jewish men should go and engage Gentile women in conversation. But Paul isn't put off. Paul doesn't let convention get in the way of sharing the gospel. He'll talk to anyone. And he isn't random about what he does. He's talking to those people who are most likely to be open. It was a good start talking to people who'd gathered for prayer. Now, the reason that they were sat out on the riverbank was that Philippi was a Roman colony and it was governed by strict laws about religious observance. And if you practiced what was an unrecognized religion, you couldn't meet within the city walls. Hence, they met out on the riverbank. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is that Paul went to where people were. He wasn't sitting on his hands waiting for them to come to him. He went to where they were. The other Tuesday at Open Church, Veronica said something that stuck in my mind. She said this, she said, if I want to meet people, I have to go to where they are because nobody comes knocking at my door. And I thought, isn't that true? To engage people, we have to go to where they are. That's why as a church, our frontline focus makes so much sense, meeting people where they are. And if you think about it, that's why churches, including ours, are involved in supporting people in their need. It's the motivation behind CAP, behind street pastors, behind food banks. It's engaging the community where they are in their need. So Paul talked to anybody and everybody, and he went to where they were. But thirdly, I want you to notice that it is God who opened Lydia's heart. Paul spoke to her, but it was the Holy Spirit that opened her heart. It's a kind of partnership. I learned that lesson the hard way when I was at university in Swansea. And our Christian Union organized a mission week and we're inviting as many people as we could to come to our mission. Now, as far as I could wake out, I was the only Christian in our hall of residence, which was a lovely old castle. So I decided I would invite everybody in my hall of residence to our mission. And that was 159 people. So I set about it, and every evening I went from door to door, inviting, discussing. And I have to say it was quite exhausting. And sometimes it was argumentative, and other times it was quite hilarious. But after six nights, I'd invited everybody, 
but one. Because the one guy who I never got to see was a guy called Nick. And he was a keen scuba diver, so he was never at home. And I have to admit, I never got to speak to him. Now, during our mission that following week, you know what happened? He was the one person who came to faith. He was the only person I hadn't spoke to, and he was the one person who came to faith. And you know what I believe? That was God saying, I honor your efforts, but I'm reminding you that it's me that does the work. God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one that creates that miracle. It's what we learnt in uh, the five loaves and two fishes. The young boy brought what he had, but God did the rest. And that's what God says to us. You do your bit, and then I'll do my bit. So let's think for a moment how practically we go about sharing our faith. And I'd like to focus on just one simple suggestion this morning. And I'd summarise it as this. I call it, ask, don't tell. Ask, don't tell. Ask those people you meet what they believe. And you'll be surprised how many then reciprocate by asking you the same question. Reciprocal questions are part of our human nature. If I ask you where you're going on holiday, I'll guarantee the next question is you'll ask me the same thing. On Tuesday, Belinda and I took a stroll up Penavan in the Brecon Beacons. And at the summit, we stopped for a little photograph. And I was just taking a photograph of Belinda, standing by the summit marker, and a young lady who was standing nearby with a Cardiff University t-shirt on called over and said, would you like to take me to take a picture of both of you together? So she did. And that's the result on the screen. But what happened next? I asked her the same question, verbatim, and I took the picture of the two of them. If she'd have come straight up to me and said, would you take my picture, I'd have thought that was a bit presumptive. But her interest in me and her kindness to me meant that I offered to do exactly what she wanted. Have you ever thought of finding a way to ask somebody what they believe? And in asking them what they believe, the strong likelihood is that they will ask you what you believe. Just a few um, miles along the coast from Philippi is Istanbul, and it, it, this reminds me of a time when I was in Istanbul on business, and I was having dinner with a couple of uh, business associates who were in their early 40s, they were brother and sister, and they owned a very successful company. And as we were having our meal, I asked them about their beliefs being Muslims. I asked them what they believed, and I asked them how it affected their lives. And we talked for about an hour. They shared with me all that it meant to them, the challenges, the opportunities, how they lived. And then they asked me the same question. So, Nigel, what does it mean to you being a Christian? What's difference does it make in your life? And I was able to share my testimony with them and what it meant for me to be a Christian. And while we were having that meal that night, back at home, their father unexpectedly died. They got home to find a family in tragedy. But first thing the very next morning, the brother of these two that I've been having dinner with came back and found me and wanted to continue that discussion about faith. 
Something had happened in their life which meant that our talk about salvation, about assurance, and about eternity had real poignancy. And it all started because I asked them what they believed. It doesn't necessarily take the courage of Jonas Bjorkman to talk to somebody about Jesus. But what it does take is a heart that is intentional about sharing what we have experienced. We can't tell who will and who won't be interested to know more about Jesus. But what we do know is that somebody we know wants to know more. One in every six people wants to know more about Jesus. God is often working in their hearts before we even get there. We're in partnership with him. He prepares that ground in advance. So don't be afraid to ask those questions. And God might just surprise you with the response you get and the fruit from the harvest that he gives you. Take that step of faith. And finally, what about Lydia? Well, notice what, Paul's, uh, what Luke says in his account here. And I think he's quite deliberate in what he says. He tells us that Lydia is a worshipper of God. But in some way, God opens her heart. Now, wouldn't you have thought that if she was a worshipper, her heart was open anyway? Wouldn't you have thought that having become a worshipper, she would have known God and had her heart already opened? What we do know about Lydia was that Philippi wasn't her home. She was there on business and she'd come from the city of Thyatira over in Turkey. Thyatira is one of those places that in Revelation the Spirit writes a letter to. And there in Philippi, she hears of Jesus for the first time and she becomes a first convert in Europe. A first a worshipper and then she had her heart opened. She was the first to receive salvation through faith in Jesus alone. And Luke tells us she went from being a worshipper to being, in her words, a believer. What are you this morning? Are you here just as a worshipper? Or is your heart open to God? Have you invited the living God into your life? Lydia's life was transformed and that of her family because God opened her heart. Will you let God open your heart this morning? Will you change from being a ritualistic worshipper to having somebody with a living testimony? Will you let God open your heart this morning so that he changes from being someone you worship at a distance to someone who lives inside you? Will you let God into your heart this morning to fill you with new life, with abundant life, with overflowing life? Are you just a worshipper or has God opened your heart to receive him? Here's the test. The test is whether or not from your heart comes an overflow of the love of Jesus, an overflow to the love that he has put in there, an overflow which speaks of his life, an overflow which speaks of him. Has God opened your heart so that you have that overflow from your heart which will touch those around about you? May God enable us this week, not only to open our hearts to let him in, but to let us share our hearts with those around about us. Let's pray together.
Father God, we are here this morning as worshippers, but we want to be more than that. Father, we want the vibrant life of Jesus to fill our hearts. We want to be soaked in his love, filled with his spirit, energized with his presence. And may we share that life with others, knowing how vital it is for them too to have their hearts opened. Father, we want this week to be partners with you in your reconciling mission. Would you give us the eyes to see the opportunities? Would you give us the love to care for the souls of others? Would you give us the wisdom to share what we have experienced? And as we speak of the Saviour's love, open hearts we pray. In the name of Jesus and for his glory, we offer ourselves to you. Amen.